0: We've been talking about being empowered, and what I want us most to understand about being empowered is that God wants to empower you for something specific to change the world. Now, you are not meant to do that on your own. There are some people that are so talented, they can make a big impact in the world all by themselves. Most of us, that's not us. In fact, that's not even the way Jesus set up the church in order to change the world. He set up the church in order to change the world in a way that we had to have each other. We needed to work together, and there had to be unity among the church so that we could move forward. Our words matter, and I'm not going to rehash... I'm talking about that, but I am passionate about that. They matter. Words have the power to give life. They have the power to build up. They have the power to encourage someone. They have the power to take the gospel to places that do not have it. But words also have the ability to tear down, to destroy, to break relationships. Be careful how you use your words. Be careful what words you use. As we're coming into election season, let me just say this. Maybe A reminder, you will never change anyone's mind by using words to shame or to to cause guilt or to embarrass or to belittle. And yet most of the political commentary, memes that are posted, move exactly in that direction. We're never going to change somebody's mind through shaming, whether it be in politics, whether it be in what your favorite restaurant is, or whether it be someone following Christ. We'll never use shame to do that. We've got to be careful how we do that. So be careful what you post. Be careful what you repost. Be careful what you talk about. One of the things I I try to keep in mind is if this is not something I would send a direct message to Jesus about, I ought not put it out for anyone else to see, okay? Um, Words mattered. So let me switch directions here. And what I want to talk to you today It's something that's important in the church. It's important in our lives. It's important if we're going to be empowered. But I also want to pivot the conversation a little bit over the the last part of the series. If we are going to be empowered, then for what? What? why does god empower us scripture says that we are given the holy spirit whenever christ left he told his disciples i gotta go i gotta get out of here because if i don't then the holy spirit will not come and if the holy spirit does not come you will not receive that power and when you receive that power you are going to go out and you're going to be my witnesses to the rest of the world what are we going to be empowered for now it's easy to stop that conversation and if you're ready to go we can say well you need to share the gospel let's sing another song and go home right But there's more to the conversation than that. There's more to the conversation about where do we go. Naturally, when we want God to empower us, just in our natural self, it's not hard to imagine how we want God to empower us. I mean, for most of us, if we're just normal people, then the thing that we most want God to do in our lives is we want him to make us safe, we want him to provide for our needs. We want him to build maybe some wealth, even if that wealth is just so that we know that we can live past the next paycheck. A lot of times the things that we focus on and we want power from God is so that we will not be afraid. If we get sick that we will be healed. Whenever we look at our lives we want to enjoy life, and I got to tell you we enjoyed life this week, you know, that the thing about vacation is a terrible temptation. Vacation is a terrible temptation. That rhymes so you know it's godly, right? You don't agree with me, right? It is because, let me tell you, we went and sat and we ate and we did nothing. And listen, it's not hard to imagine why people want to live a life like that, right? Because it feels good. I felt great. I even thought maybe we won't come back. I don't think they'll even miss us. We just can stay here on the beach. You would miss us we'll just thank you oh that feels good that's like i i didn't plan for that but i'm gonna i'm gonna work more of those kinds of questions in yeah you can. <laughs> can't handle scott all the time uh don't tell him that remember we got to use our words wisely i just said that we got to use our words wisely the whole thing that you know about don't direct if you can't direct it to jesus don't you know anyways all right it's so good thanks you know stop stop um But it's easy to just want to sit and enjoy life. I mean, I could be homeless on the beach. I really could. But that's not the life he's called us to. But where I am naturally where I am not moved by the Holy Spirit or by conviction for what I read in scripture, I naturally want to move to all those same places. I want to be comfortable. I want life to go well. I want everybody to be healthy. I want to be able to go out and do some fun stuff. There are times I just want to go buy something. Do you ever have those moments you just want to go buy something? And then I talk to Deidre and then I don't get to go buy anything. But you just want to go do that. Because most of us our default place when it comes to how will God empower me is that we want to be empowered for ourselves and our own lives the problem is that is the way we will naturally respond and yet god never empowers in that direction or if he does very rarely this is one of the reasons we have so many frustrated christians in the world is because we want god to empower us but what we're asking him to empower us to do is not something that he wants for us so what does he want to empower us for and I'm going to give you kind of the main idea right up front so you can know. And then if you need to go to sleep because it's summer, you can, but I will judge you if you do and maybe throw something at you. I might. But this is what I want you to get before we leave today, okay? And then I want to, I want to defend what I'm saying over the next few minutes. The main thing I want you to get is that God empowers those who seek the kingdom above everything else and have accepted the call to be a contributor instead of a consumer. This is how God empowers us. And if we are seeking empowerment outside of this, understand God has never said he will do that. So as we go through and we look at some places in Scripture, we're going to jump around at a couple of different places. But as we do this, I want you to know that as his church, we believe, as Journey Church, we believe That God wants us to be contributors into the kingdom and not consumers of it. Now, if you'll ask any honest pastor, they will tell you this is their greatest battle in the church today in America. It is the place of moving someone from the place of being a consumer where we naturally fall and where we are trained to be by every piece of media that touches our eyes or our ears, to a place of being a contributor to where God empowers or God moves and God changes the world. As a church, we created this place or we felt called to gather this group of people because we believe that God wanted us to do something within our community and to change it. Now, the consumer mindset is something that is ravaging the church. I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time talking about it, but it's not new. It's been highly effective in getting us To do exactly what marketers want us to do is to buy their stuff. I was looking up when was the original phrase "The customer is always right." Do any of you work and with customers that have to follow this mantra, "The customer is always right"? Who does anybody? Don't you love it? Don't you love that mantra? Have you ever had a customer come in and tell you that "customer is always right"? Well, I worked retail all through college. And they would come in and tell me the customer's always right. And you know what I wanted to do? Well, I won't tell you what I wanted to do. (laughs) But they would say the customer is always right. That is a quote from Henry Gordon Selfridge. Anybody that has traveled to the UK would know what Selfridges is. It's one of the largest retailers in the UK. It was founded early 1900s, like 1904. In 1909, the founder of Selfridges coined the phrase, the customer is always right. Now, 120 years later, they're still in business and it's clearly been effective for them. It is one of the premier mantras of any sales training that you will go through anywhere. The customer is always right. And it was so successful then because to that point, the customer was never right. It was in a system in which you would come in and you would get what they would give you. And if you didn't like it, well, that's just tough because this is what you get. And they found that, you know what? Now that as competition increases, as now there are other providers out there providing this same thing, what we need to do is encourage them to come to us. And what we know is that the default position of any person is going to be, I want to take care of me. And so if we can tell them we will take care of you better than anyone else, then they will buy our stuff. And it is highly effective. Over the years, that marketing mantra has grown. One of the things we we thought was interesting as we were up in the Northeast this past week is we saw very few fast food restaurants, which is really probably a good thing. (laughs) Not like here where every five miles you see about 30 fast food restaurants one of them was Burger King. Now, if I'm going to have to have a fast food burger, they do have a good one, right? Burger King coined a phrase back in the 70s and 80s that changed the way fast food restaurants did business. I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) Have it your way, right? Have it your way. And the reality is that touched the nerve and it changed the way other businesses did business. Now, I tell you this, not because this is bad. I mean, I do this for other businesses all the time. How do you get more customers to your business? But when it comes to the church, we have moved from the retail environment into the faith environment in which we want to have it our way. And, and there's nothing wrong with being a discerning person to find out, is a faith community going to move me in the true direction of where Christ is, or is it going to move me somewhere else? Just great discernment is needed for that. At times, God will call you to a different church, somewhere here or somewhere there, and you if you don't follow him in that call, then you're being disobedient to God. But more likely what is happening today is that we have taken the have it your way mantra and we have introduced it into our faith communities so that we have become so consumer minded that an average person, when thinking about where do I go to church, the very first question will be, will it meet my needs? Now that sounds reasonable, doesn't it? It sounds reasonable. We go to church to get our needs met. I remember the first time it struck me that something was off. I was a very young pastor and someone came up and, you know, I thought well more of myself than I should have. You know, it does happen. I did. And I thought every sermon I gave was the best thing anyone had ever heard. I was their gift. You know, you don't know me like this because I've had lots of sobering moments since then. But I remember when I graduated seminary thinking, these people are so lucky to have me. I am so studied. God has given me a word, and I'm going to lay it on them. Just hashtag blessed. That's what these people are, right? Right? That was before hashtags were even a thing. That was when it was still, you know, on your dial, on your telephone. That You didn't know what it was there for. And someone came up, and he said, you know, I love your Wednesday night talks. He was a good friend of mine, still a good friend of mine to this day i love your wednesday night talks he said they just give me what i need to get through the week i thought get through the week what do you mean get through the week this i mean this is stuff that this for eternity you know that's the way preachers think but i remember thinking it changed my understanding of what people are looking for out of church i'm living day by day i just need to fill up to get to the next thing and that's not what Jesus called us to. That's not what Jesus said our lives should be like. That's not what he said the Holy Spirit would do within our lives. But it's the experience of many people. Today, the consumer movement within the church is driven by doing whatever it takes to get people to come. We started a journey. We very much bought into the have it your way mantra. We knew at the time there, weren't, there were very few new churches in Chattanooga. Most of the churches here were hundreds of years old or at least decades old. We wanted to start a place in which people that would not go into a traditional church would be open and welcome and would hear the gospel in a different context. No matter what it took to get them in the doors, another popular mantra in the church world that follows this is, we'll do anything short of sin to win the lost. And we thought, that sounds so good. That sounds so Jesus-y. You know, that sounds like what we ought to do. And so we did lots of crazy things, and most of them didn't work out, and I think that was the Holy Spirit coming down upon us. You know, we've talked about the snow machine before. How many of y'all were here for the snow machine? Is there anybody? Just a couple. We're here for the most dismal snowstorm ever um, that we tried to have. Every time we tried to do some kind of big attractional thing, it failed. But we kept doing it. But we did some things really well, and We did some things very different. The way we talked was different. The way we dressed was different. The way the music was was very different from most churches. Today, not so much. You can find a lot of what we do in a lot of churches. Over 11 years, you know, it's kind of the culture has changed here in Chattanooga. And some of that is because of the dozens of of thriving new churches that have come in over the past 11, 12 years. But along the way, I heard a talk by someone I would consider to be one of the most influential pastors in the world. Someone I think highly of. I listened to their sermons, and for much of my early ministry, I thought they have it going on, and some of what they did became the model of some of what we did beginning. And I remember I went to a talk once, and it began to change my perspective. I was talking with Scott a while back about this. This was the moment that my perspective on church and how we do it changed. The title of his talk was called New It Improved. He said, Here's how you sell something. You sell something by something being new, or even if something is exactly like the old, improve some aspect of it, smack an improved sticker on it, and people will buy it. Now ask yourself when you go to the store to buy whatever it is that you want to buy that you regularly have to buy laundry detergent, toilet paper, whatever. If you see some sticker on the side that says new, It draws your attention. If it's improved and it's right next to the old, outdated, not near as good as the new and improved version, which one will you buy? I'll buy the new. I'll buy the improved. And he said, that is what we have to do in the church to reach people that are outside the church. It needs to be new. And then the existing things we do, we need to improve them. I remember that was the most discouraging conversation I think I had heard from a pulpit ever. Because I thought, how do we do this? How do we constantly, especially a small church like us, how do we constantly come up with something new? And how do we constantly improve everything? And for me, that moment began to change as I began to ask myself, well, what exactly does Jesus want to do in us? Does he want us to appeal to that consumer-minded part of us that we naturally flow to? Or does he want us to appeal to something deeper, something that's older, something that's more powerful than that need to consume. And so we've been over the last few years somewhat trying to figure this out. How do we embrace what is true but not ignore those who are far from God? And so that's why you constantly see us working on things and changing things and doing something different or talking different or adjusting our focus a bit is because we're still on that search but that search is consistent in one way and it is the rejection of the consumer mindset of the church now question will be will we make it as a church without doing that because most of the largest thriving churches they do the consumer thing well not all Just because a church is larger and thriving does not mean that they're doing anything wrong. And there are those that are doing the consumer thing very well and plug into a discipleship process that is highly effective. But in many places, those places are dying right now. Some of the largest, most influential churches in our country, while this is not published by anyone, are declining by the tens of thousands. Now, if a church can decline by tens of thousands, you know I'm talking about some big churches. And what we see in those churches, we're seeing in smaller churches. And yet there is, a, there is a, a thriving small church movement that says exactly what Jesus would want it to say. There was something better. There was something better than new and improved. And it doesn't mean old and tired is better than new and improved, right? Because that's part of the question. Well, should we just go back to old and tired? Old and tired is not a better solution. But true and authentic and where Jesus is, that is the solution. So how do we get there? How do we find that? We have this interesting conversation with him. I I had some other ad examples, by the way. There is one, there are two companies here in town that consistently put a billboard up that says all about you. Have you seen those? I tried to find pictures of them, but I couldn't. I don't know why. That concept, all about you, is what I'm talking about. Can I just tell you, if we come to worship and it's all about us, what is the point? What is the point? It's not all about us. So, what is it about? There are two, uh, this is one of the ways I would differentiate between the difference between a contributor. And a consumer, contributor being empowered, a consumer not being empowered. Contributors believe they have an important role in the church. God wants to use me for something. I have a purpose for being here. I have a place here. God has a calling for me. I have something to offer others. That's a contributor. And it's not something that just happens in the church. That mindset permeates well beyond what happens in these walls. A consumer, on the other hand, believes that they should be an important focus of the church. What kind of programs have you got? What are you doing for my kids? What are you doing for me? When are you gonna have another retreat? You know, what what are you giving me? What are you giving me? And we talk about the statistics of the growth of the nuns. Have you heard this? The growth of the nuns, the increasing number of people that attended church but now say they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. This is what we're seeing. It is the consumer sided part of the church saying, I don't want this anymore that's the growth of the nuns. And we have to take that seriously, and we have to look at what does it look like to be the church. If we can't go to scripture and point to scripture and say, this is what we're supposed to do, or this is what we're supposed to be, then how in the world can we be the church as Jesus anticipated it? What he called us to. Now, my goal today is not to shame us into doing more. We're going to have some sign-ups in the back of the room. I need you to sign up for three open positions, and we're going to take three offerings today. That is not the goal of, our, of today. I don't, even, I don't even have something I need you to do today other than ask God, what does he have for you to do? And I, and I don't have some back-ended sign-up list either, like, so if God told you to do something, I've got sign-up lists over here for that. I don't even have one of those. My point today is not to shame us because I believe the majority of us, if if not all of us, are contributors. But we need to know why we are and how do we continue to move in that direction. There are four life principles that drive me. I don't know about you, but for me, these are the four life principles that for the most part drive me in the decisions that I make and how I live my life. Next slide. Number one, God knows me, he wants me to know him. Not just know about him, he wants me to know him. I know about a lot of people. But there are only a few people I really know. God wants to be one of those. He knows me. He wants me to know him. When I go to Scripture, I don't want to just learn about him, I want to know him. That's the point. God loves me, and He wants me to love Him. That's part of the choice. God didn't have to give us a choice. God didn't have to say we have to respond to the gospel. We could. I I found it interesting when we were up in the Northeast, the the number one church we saw was a universalist Unitarian church. Almost all of the old churches are now universalist Unitarian churches. And the gospel of the universalist Unitarian churches, do whatever you want, live however you want. It doesn't matter how you respond to the gospel. Everybody's saved because of Jesus. Except that's not what anything in the New Testament says. But that's almost every single church that's in the Northeast. So as we look at that, we have to say, God wants more from us. He wants us to love him. I can't just live my life as if he doesn't exist and actually love him any more than you can date somebody and treat them like they don't exist. And it'd be any kind of a life-giving relationship. Now, I did that when I was, you know, in second grade, right? <laughs> Here's my note. Will you go out with me? I'm not go out because we didn't go out unless mom and dad drove or we could go on our bikes, Right. Will you go with me? Yes or no? Yes, great. I'll get back to you next year and see if we're still going together, right? I remember the first time my first girlfriend wrote me a note. Can I call you today? Well, I know that wasn't very enlightened back then, but that was the, you know, early 80s, you know, girls are, you know, they should be able to call anytime they want, right? And I froze up. She wants to talk. I got home. Mom, she wants to call. I don't talk to her. The only reason I liked her, it, honestly, the reason I liked her was two reasons. Not the only reason. She was fun, but she liked the Atlanta Falcons, which is a pretty good indicator of the quality of her heart and character at the time. And she did not carry a purse. She put a wallet in her back pocket, and I thought that was just awesome as a second-grade boy. She is mobile and means business, right? That's awesome. But we Never talked. Never talked. I think our phone call lasted all of about 45 seconds, and once I got off, I was like, I'm glad that's over. I'm glad that's (laughs) over. We cannot have relationships with people if we treat them like they don't matter. God loves me. God loves you. God wants us to return that to him. That's why we have a choice to make. He's not going to force us to do that. Number three, God has a plan for my life, and he wants me to fulfill it. Now, there's a role for me in that, in that God has a plan. He has a desired outcome for my life and a desired purpose for me, but I have to be the one to follow it because I can walk away from his plan. If you do not believe that God has a plan for your life, that you have a purpose in this world, this thing, everything else we do will not matter to you. Sometimes people come from a difficult background. A history that they're embarrassed about. They're ashamed of their past. And they do not believe that God has a purpose for them other than to atone for their sins for the rest of their life. That is not the gospel. Jesus died for your sins once and for all. From that moment forward, he has a purpose for you. And that purpose is to change the world, at least for someone other than yourself. He has a plan. And he wants you to fulfill it. The fourth thing is that I am most empowered by God when I am actively working to fulfill his plan. So if you don't believe God has a plan for you, you will never feel empowered by God. And this talk will all be a big guilt trip. I don't feel empowered by God. I don't feel used by God. I don't feel like God wants to do anything in me. And I'm telling you that's because you don't understand that God empowers us when we're fulfilling His plan. That's what He wants to do. Acts one eight says, "You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth." You will receive power, but I have something for you to do with it, and it doesn't focus on you. It focuses on others. This is the great paradox of the gospel for many of us. The gospel is, we get so much out of the gospel. I mean, we're forgiven for our sins. We get to be in heaven with God forever. This is a beautiful thing. We get to experience this. But we gain more by giving it away than by keeping it for ourselves. And the more we keep it for ourselves, the more it rots within us, it makes us feel empty. John fifteen sixteen says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you in the process of bearing fruit. See, when Jesus talks about calling, there's always action to be taken. And whenever we don't take that action, we will not receive that power. This is one of the hard things about being a follower of Christ that you have to kind of grow up in. Whenever we first come to be a believer, it is really about us and Jesus. The moment that I received Christ as my Savior, it was, I wasn't thinking about anybody else. I was thinking about me and Jesus. That's it. When you are young in your faith, it is natural to view it that way. But as you begin to understand what Jesus wants to do within your life, you will find that your sanctification, the process of you growing, of you growing deeper, wider, closer to God, will always involve you giving of yourself for other people. Always, always, always. That's what Jesus did. And he said, follow my example. If you're feeling empty and powerless today, I would ask you, what has God led you to do that you are not doing? Some would say, well, it's about grace. It's not about works. And I would say, just as James would say, I will show you my faith by my works. Our faith should propel us to that. Work should not be in place of faith, but faith should propel us to do works. In John chapter 4, verse 31, Jesus took a very interesting conversation that the, the apostles were not looking for, did not know what he was about to do to, to kind of hammer this point home. John chapter 4, verse 31 says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, they've been out busy doing different things. This is right in the time that Jesus is talking to the, the woman at the well. So this is a very significant moment. He has basically laid out the gospel to someone who was a non-practicing Jew saying that, you know, I want to give you living water. And so as they're leaving that, so he's been thirsty, but he hasn't been eating either. The disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Now, this is one of those frustrating moments if you're a disciple and you're like, oh, here it comes. Here's another life lesson we weren't looking for. We just were concerned that you were hungry and you needed to eat, right? That's not how they responded because they knew who Jesus was, but... So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Which is so classic disciples. Um, you have other food to eat? Well, who, who gave it to you? You know, that's not where Jesus is going at all. And I, will, I would like to say that I never respond to Jesus this way, but I do all the time. I'm like, what? oh, it takes him a while to get through to me. Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. He's literally talking about the Samaritan woman at this point. Because she went out and told everybody what, experience she just had. And if you'll read this whole passage in context, you'll see that. She's already going out, a non-Jew, talking about me and spreading me to other people. And other people came around Jesus as a result of her testimony of what she just experienced in her conversation with him. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together for here the saying holds true, one scowls and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. In other words, you look at me and you think I need to consume something. And I don't want to take this too far, but I do believe this is what he's saying. You, you, you see that I have a need and you think my primary concern should be my need. I tell you I meet my most basic needs by doing the will of my father. This is way more important than anything I need to eat in the moment. And he chose this moment because of the circumstances surrounding it. They've seen this conversation with the Samaritan woman, which would have been upsetting for them because Jesus was there for the Jews. And this is one of the moments in which he foreshadows this gospel for the world, not just for the Jews. It's going to start with the Jews, but it's going to spread out. And indeed it did. But he wanted them to understand there's something more important in life than just getting your needs met. And it's not that you should stop eating. That doesn't turn out well. But it does mean we need to reorder our priorities in the way that we live our lives he goes on to give the example of reaping, even if you haven't sowed. In other words, we all have a role to play. You have a role to play. Now, there are those that are great reapers. I mean, people who present the gospel in a way and elicit a response from others that I look on and I just go, that is, uh, that is amazing. Many times the work we do is the sowing. We may not be the reaper. We may not be the one who gets to actually see someone come to know Christ. Instead, we're just doing the long work of showing them what Jesus looks like, that they are loved, that God has a purpose for them. And yet what he is saying is both are equally important. Both are a purpose from God. And this is how we are empowered and what we are empowered for. See, Jesus wanted to teach them what it looked like to give to others, rather than consume something for themselves. Now, I recognize that a cynic can come in and hear everything that I'm saying and can say, well, you're just saying that because you're not very good at giving people what they want. Well, probably guilty. But I would say this is one of those mysteries of Christ that you have to give in order to receive, that you have to die in order to live, that you have to pick up your cross and you have to follow him. It's those mysteries that are deeper, those things that you say, I'm in, I love him, I want to know him, I want to follow him, he has a purpose for me. And my greatest calling in life is to fulfill that purpose, not all these other things that I want to fulfill within my life. Because the consumer mindset never ends, it's the perpetual carrot that you never get. And when we make that into the church, we make something, an, an intimate experience with Christ out there that you never can actually receive because we just get one and we need more, and we need more, and we need more. Jesus told the Samaritan woman, I'll give you water that you'll never thirst again. That is the exact opposite of the consumer mindset that most of us live our lives. We talked a couple of weeks ago about biblical generosity. Many of you have been incredibly generous, and I thank you for that. It's been wonderful. The thing about generosity is not just that you need to pay bills. The thing about generosity is this is a way of living life in which God rewards us. We do need to be good stewards. We do need to make wise choices. But there are some mysteries about the gospel that if you really want to know and follow Christ, you have to turn over the apple cart of the way you do life naturally. this is what he's saying to them. Giving to others is not just a financial thing. It is a way of living life. Seeing that you have something to give. Now, there are some people that don't struggle with that. They feel they've got more to give. Early in my ministry, God needed to humble me. He did. Still does. But most people who are following Christ come to the place eventually of saying, what I have to give has been given to me from him. It's the only way I have anything to give. We look at that story, and I don't want to spend too much time here, but Jesus' primary concern was reaping, not sowing, even though both are considered equal in the kingdom. This is not an area of life he wants us to get around to. Like, I'll get there. I'm not there yet. I still kind of want my needs taken care of. This is one of those issues you will never get around to if you don't make the conscious decision. You will not do it. I know because I've been there. Listen, I have been guilty of the worst consumer offenses of any Christian. I I haven't had to choose where to go to church for quite a while. (laughs) But I remember it. I remember when I didn't have responsibilities to be at the church. And I'd wake up on Sunday mornings and think, I think let's just sleep in today. And that was before we had online church. So you can sleep in and still catch church online, right? Let's just not go. Let's just not get involved. I was a part of several churches where I never served anybody. I just came and sat and soaked it in. And if it wasn't, you know, good, then I went somewhere else. And in all those times, there was always a nudging of God saying, there's something more than this. There's something more than this. So I know what it's like. He doesn't want us to get around to it. We have to view what God wants to do in our lives right now as necessary and time-sensitive. Do you ever get an email that says, I need you to respond to this immediately? You have to realize that if you are not fulfilling God's plan, no one else is. He has called you for this. Well, God wouldn't let that happen to somebody. If he needed somebody to be reached, he wouldn't just put that all on me. Oh, yes, he would. Yes, he would. Now, that's not meant to, to put you, make you feel like, oh, I've got to go. I've got to save every single person I see. No, absolutely not. We're, we're going to sow and we're going to reap. We're not going to always reap. But you need to fulfill your purpose in that moment. Your purpose is not just fulfilling that here in this place. In fact, the least place you should be fulfilling, and let me be careful how I say this, but the least place you should be fulfilling this is here. Outside of here is where we need to be fulfilling this. When we come here, listen... When we go back and see what the church was, the church up to the time that it was legalized as a state religion by Constantine, the church met in small churches of less than 50 people, meeting in houses. And if we, when we read, their life was very simple. Their life was, we come together. We talk about scripture that we know. We break bread together. We take communion together. And when we do that, Something happens with the Holy Spirit within us. It's amazing how God works in that way. You exist for others, not just for yourself. This is a hard lesson. It's not a lesson I enjoy, except for what it brings when we truly go after it. Let me encourage you that if you are thinking, yeah, but our needs should be taken care of. I mean, that's just how we grow. This is important for how we live. I would agree with you. You need to be in a place where you have the opportunity to grow. But I would say this, that you will grow more by investing in others than by getting others to invest in you. Let me also say you're not meant to do this alone. You are supernaturally gifted to make a difference in someone else's life. Romans 12 says for the by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, not individual bodies, but one body, we have many members, that's all of us and Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, and the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, you have given a supernatural gift. God's empowering you for this. He's not expecting you to go do this on your own. That's one of the reasons that we kind of reject this idea is because we're afraid, I don't, ha- I don't have what it takes. Yet Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you everything that you need. You're going to be empowered. And we do this as the church to minister to each other and to care for each other. But we are called to reach the world through the church together. This is our calling. I need you. You need me. You need each other. We all need each other. It is meant to be a group exercise. And yet sometimes we feel like we've got to go do it all on our own. Matthew 5, 14 talks about how the church will do this. He says, you, talking about the church, are the light of the world City set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In what areas of your life are you pushing back the darkness? I have to ask myself that. The fact that I get up here and and talk does not mean that this is... This is all that I'm supposed to be as a follower of Jesus. How are we a light to others? How are we pushing back the darkness? Let me end with this. Choosing to be a contributor is a daily choice. It really is. It's something that we have to decide we're going to be, it's not something that's just going to happen. Paul, in talking about receiving the gospel and living it out, says in Philippians 3, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect. I've got a long way to go, he's saying. But I press on. Pressing on is a choice. There are days we don't want to invest in anybody else, right? Somebody can say amen there if they want to, all right? Okay. Sometimes I get up and I just want to enjoy the day, right? I don't want to talk to anybody. I I joke about my My retirement plans are I just wanna I want to live on a deserted island, right? It's amazing how many pastors go, Can I come? (laughs) You know, it's it's kind of weird for pastors to say that, right? There are days that we ourselves want nothing to do with God's plan. It's a daily choice that we press on. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. In other words, I believe this is what Jesus wants. I've got to make this a part of who I am, and I'm not going to pretend that I'm there yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I could stop here. But I was thinking, well, how do you become a contributor? And I would say for, for people in this room, this is we have so many contributors here. And I'm not talking financial. I just mean contribute to the lives of others. You reach out to those who are hurting. You pray for those who need prayer. Take a meal when someone needs a meal. Come and care for kids when you would like to probably just sit in here with a cup of coffee. You teach them. You prepare at home. Lead small groups. Attend a small group. Contribute to the small group. You know, making coffee on Sunday mornings. Greeting as people walk in the door. There's so many ways people contribute here. I I can't name them all. What happens up here on this stage, not just what happens on Sunday morning, but what they have to do to prepare for Sunday morning. What happens in the booth up there, pulling things together, being ready. We have lots and lots of contributors here. But I was just thinking, well, how does one become a contributor? Seven things popped up to me. Number one, maybe you can say step one, show up show up. Contributors show up. They walk into a room and they see that it's full of people that love Jesus. And when they walk in and they don't know anybody, someone walks up to them and says, I'm glad you're here. Hopefully lots of people do. You realize that you may be here today just to encourage somebody by letting them know they're cared about? Of all the things that it took to pull off this morning, That may be the most important thing that happens today, and that may be your role. Show up. Henry Blackaby says quite famously and quite correctly, see where God is working and join him. The only way I know to do that is to seek him and to ask him and to follow when he answers. A second thing, how to be a contributor, especially within the local church. Serve. Not everybody can serve in every capacity. Not everybody has the endurance to serve in every capacity. If you're in with the toddlers and, and, you know, and, and you're just struggling to get in the door, that's probably not the place for you, right? Maybe it was at one time. Maybe today's not, that's not the place for you. If you can't sing a lick, maybe singing into a microphone is not the place for you. But making a joyful noise, whatever noise that is out here is a place for you. sir, find a place. And let me just encourage you in this. Don't wait to be asked. I've never understood that. And maybe it's just something the pastors think about because I've had people say to me, well, no one's ever asked me to do anything. And I think, gosh, if I lived my life waiting for somebody to ask me to do something, I would be very bored, very bored. Look for an opportunity and plug in. Be proactive in your faith. Don't, do not put your obedience to Christ and your following his plan for your life in the hands of someone else. Take hold of that. Be proactive and experience God's blessings as you do it. A third thing, talk to someone new. Occasionally I'll hear, well, you've got clicks at Journey. I, if we do, I don't, I don't know what they are. But we can get so used to a group of people that we begin to be nervous around people we don't know. Talk to someone new. Get to know someone. That's part of the beauty of living life. Schedule lunch with someone. And you do not have to lay out what's going to happen with the seven seals in Revelation at the end times (laughs) over lunch. You don't have to do it. And if they ask you, so what's your interpretation of the seven bowls that are going to be poured out? You don't even have to answer, okay? That's not crucial. (laughs) Take somebody to lunch. Schedule lunch with somebody. A fifth thing that goes very much along with don't wait for somebody to ask you, watch for opportunities. Watch for opportunities. They avail themselves all the time. See so a need, meet it, and be blessed for it. Number six, give big. Remember, first week, we've got to have big faith. Give big, and I'm not, just, not just talking about financially. I'm talking about your time, your love, your acceptance, your encouragement. Do you ever get up in the morning looking for someone to encourage that day? If you have the spiritual gift of encouragement or exhortation, you probably do. But if you don't, do you get up thinking, who can I encourage today? Look for somebody to encourage. And number seven, expect little, especially of the sermons, okay? <laughs> expect a little. Now, the reason, why do we expect little? I don't mean that we don't expect God to work. I don't mean we don't expect God to show up. I don't mean that we don't expect God to do something big in our lives and to use us in big ways. But I mean, if you're coming in looking for what does this do for me, expect little, but give much. It's part of the mystery of following Christ. It's better to give than to receive. First will be last, the last will be first. A lot of that is saying deny your natural impulse. And receive something better, the rest of the world would reject because they won't even try it. Let me encourage you that in your service here, you can't do everything, but you can do something. And we are meant to do this as a community. It's not about any one person or one group of people. You are an indispensable part of our community. We are not complete without you. But when we all contribute, when we all come together, we will see the world change. It will change us. It will change our community. It will spread out. And this is the power of God working in us. We will look at each other just as they did in Acts and be in awe of what God is doing. Finally, finally, What I started with, the main thing I wanted you to get today, God empowers those who seek the kingdom above everything else and have accepted the call to be a contributor instead of a consumer. Be a contributor. You don't have to be the biggest contributor. Just be a contributor. You don't have to carry the world on your shoulders. Just carry it with others and experience what God wants to do within that. Would you pray with me, Father? God, I thank you for the incredible grace of being able to know you and to love you because you knew us and loved us. I thank you for the contributors in this room, those that invest in our students and our kids, those that invest in our worship team, Hospitality, administration. I thank you for those who give of their time to lead a group, those who show up faithfully for their group so that they can contribute and be a part of that family that's growing together. Father, I pray that we would see you work powerfully by following your plan. pray for those who want to contribute and they feel so limited god i don't know what your plan is for that but i know you have a place know you have a role and i know you want to do something significant in them and through them i pray for us as a community that we would embody what you've called us to i pray that we would see lives changed i pray that we would see those that have given up on the church come to faith in you I pray that you would show us what it looks like to be authentic today and that we would live that out. I pray that we would leave this place looking for someone to encourage, that we would watch our words. I pray for strength on the days that, like Paul, we have to press on even though we just really want to stop. God, move in us, empower us, let us see your work. I thank you that you do have a calling for each of us, that we are all equal in the kingdom. Let us live in that fully. Let us walk out of this place ready to see your power on display. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.